0: my sorrow and dead in my sin. Lost without hope and no place to begin. But your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. Ash was redeemed, on Was given away My morning grew quiet My feet rose to dance When death was arrested My life made The seed was laid on a criminal's cross Darkness rejoiced in the heaven, heaven Nothing can stop it.
1: Welcome to Camriel Community Church. We are so glad that you are with us today. Whether you're online, maybe you're in a video venue, or you're in the building. Excited that you are with us. My name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor here. And, uh, man, we got a lot to jump into today. But before I get into the Word of God, a couple little announcements, housekeeping little uh, items. Uh, you might remember a couple months ago, if you were here, uh, that we had, uh, during the Welcome Project, we had one of our missionaries from India who was here with us, James Samuel, and uh, kind of let us know some opportunities that had come on the scene uh, uh, to help our brothers and sisters uh, of the Christian faith in northern India. In case you weren't here, I'll give you some, a little bit more details. They're uh, they're seeing increasing persecution in northern India. There's a sect there that wants to keep India kind of um, 100% Hindu, and so there's a law in northern India that says if you convert somebody to Christianity, it's illegal. Well, we have a missionary there who's been feeling like he's called by God God to be there, and a growing church that we've been acquainted with for several years. Uh, They have been kicked out of their church building uh, some four times in the last two years. And the reason is because either the business owner finds out they're Christian and says, oh, no, you can't do that here, or the community says, You know what? Uh, You know we know they're good paying. They pay their rent, but you can't do this, business owner. They're Christian, you know, and then the business owner gets forced to push them out. And so we had James here. He said to us that if he had fifty thousand dollars, he could uh, build a church from the ground up, buy a piece of land, uh, build a building. Uh, where they would, in the basement, do their worship to so be kind of hidden. And then on the first level, or on the, you know, kind of the, uh, the first level view uh, of the community, they could do community outreaches. And so they have a whole strategy. We, I, if you remember, I told you guys that we, as an elder board, felt like we needed to do both. We needed to, uh, you know, raise funds for the Welcome Project, which we're, you know, headed towards this year. And then at the same time, we felt like God was going to provide that $50,000 in some way to be able to, to, to make this happen in India as well. Well, to give you an update on that, it's been a little while. We had one person who said, I have a, a, I'd like to do a $20,000 matching gift. And so whoever you know, would like to match, I'll match a $20,000. Our elders got together and said, you know, because our church has been so faithful in giving to us, every $100 that comes into our church, we put $10 away into a mission fund that we can use for these activities. And so our elders said, we're gonna take $10,000 from the mission front and give it to this project as well. That's 30. You guys somehow heard about it and like $6,000 has come in. So we're at 36 and we're looking for the last 14,000 of that gift matching to work out so that we can do this and, and go full steam forward to help our brothers and sisters in uh, India. I had some people come up to me when the time I said and say, hey, I want to be involved, um, and we, we weren't ready for that. It was, it was so fresh on the scene. But now we're letting you know how to be involved. And so if you want to I'll write a check that says India Mission on it, on the memo, it'll get there. If you want to talk to Kenny, you want to be involved. I know there's some people who are like, man, I actually... My father was tied to India and whatnot, and so I want to help in this endeavor. And I just want to know how those type of things. We are now opening the doors to say, hey, we are ready to do that. And we actually have somebody from our church um, who is going to be going to India in February and kind of sending our love and support from us. So keep on coming the next couple weeks. Uh, We might even have an opportunity for you to sign a little card saying we love you. We are praying for you from California all the way to India. So that's going to be happening on the scene. I wanted to let you know about it in case you wanted to be involved with it as well. But we believe uh, we're at fourteen thousand dollars away. We think it's going to happen. So we're going to build a church in India. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> you know? um, and a church, by the way, they can't get kicked out of because they are the, the home. You know, they are the landlord. And uh, so super, super, super cool. Um, uh, secondly. When you leave today, you'll see people in a green uh, sweater giving out magnets. If you haven't got a magnet this month, you'll see it uh, today. Uh, you take the magnet, you put it on your refrigerator. It is our pantry ministry. And basically, what we're doing is we're highlighting an item of food every month this year. And so, as you visit your um, refrigerator door, you can go, Oh, the pantry's collecting, I don't know, pasta this month. We have extra pasta. Let's give it to the pantry. We'll take those items. That we get in connection with food share, we have a lot of food coming from food share. But sometimes there are items that we don't get from food share that we put on this calendar, kind of thing. And so you bring it to us, we will funnel it right to our pantry workers, who on Friday feed somewhere between 130 to 150 families a week. There's probably more of them because we consider they don't all come every week. And so, um, and we can actually help in the um, the food shortage in homeless communities right here in Camarillo and the Ventura area. If you want to be involved in that, take a magnet, and then as God uh, uh, leads you, please bring that stuff forward so we can get By the way, if you haven't met the lady who runs the pantry, she's gorgeous. <laughs> uh, all right, let's jump right in. Uh, we are going to go, hey, the year is 1991. The, the the best organization that NFL football history has ever seen uh, is, is putting forth another team that's doing quite well. In fact, they've won two consecutive Super Bowls. Uh, they followed up those two consecutive Super Bowls with a 14-2 record. They are the consensus pick to win the third Super Bowl in a row, never been done in the history of the NFL. And they find themselves at home hosting the NFC Championship game against a familiar foe, the New York Giants, and a backup quarterback, Jeff Jeff Hostetler. They lead by one point in the fourth quarter. There's three minutes left to go. All you need to do is get a couple first downs, and the game is over. So they give a uh, oh, and they're on their way to their third consecutive Lombardi trophy. And so they hand the ball off to sure-handed Roger Craig, who runs up the gut into the trenches of the offensive line. A plane designed to knock eat up the clock. The only problem is he runs right into the great. Lawrence Taylor, and fumbles the football. And the San Francisco 49ers lose to the New York Giants, who quickly move the ball into field goal range, kick a field goal, win the game, head to the Super Bowl where they meet the Buffalo Bills. They beat them, and they took our Super Bowl victory away from us. That was ours. Now, I have a simple question to ask. I don't know that anybody in the room can answer it, But why couldn't Roger Craig just hold on the ball? I mean, he's like a Hall of Famer. I mean, a sure-handed guy. All you have, one job. You hold the ball, get on the ground, tick, 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 tick. We go to the Super Bowl, we win three consecutive. We're the best organization football history has ever seen. All you had to do is hold the ball. Can anybody tell me why he dropped the ball? I mean, I'm telling you, and you know what? I'm up here, you're down there, and this little finger has authority. I can just point and they will remove you. No heckling the pastor. (laughs) That's awesome. They asked Roger Craig himself, why'd you fumble? He doesn't even know. I don't know, there's some questions in the world today that we're just not gonna get answers to. You don't get answers to every question that you might have. I wish I had the answer to that. I wish I could change that. You know, Why can't you just hold on to the ball? Oh, still drives me crazy. I, I was like 13 years old. I cried all night long. 1991, I was 13 years old. Cry. Why couldn't you hold on the ball? You know, some questions we don't get the answers. There are other questions that also don't need to be asked. There's other, a different, on a different level, other kind of questions that just don't need to be asked. If you don't believe me, turn to your neighbor right now and ask them if they stop beating their wife. Good. Have you stopped beating your wife? I mean, if I say yes, then that's good, but that means I used to beat her. If I say no, then I'm still being, I don't know that I want to answer this question. There are some questions that you don't get the answers to, and there are some questions that just shouldn't be asked. Uh, That's that's just the way life works, and I bring this up because I think we all struggle with some questions that we have for God. Like, why this and why not that? Or why did this happen? Where were you then? And and we have all these questions pent up inside of ourselves, and some questions we don't get answers for. And some questions just don't need to be asked. But if we're honest with ourselves, we bring those with us. Maybe we wouldn't say them audibly at church because you're not supposed to do that. But questions like, why why does God go silent in the midst of some of my prayers? Does not he have the ability to answer the prayer? Is something wrong with my prayers that I'm offering up? or, Or is he no longer able to answer the request? Why isn't my prayer being answered and Is there something wrong with my God? Is there something wrong with me or is there something wrong with him? We're going to be dealing with that today. And if you turn your Bibles right now to 1 Samuel chapter 1, we'll go into our next section together, which is verses 9 through 20, as we look at unanswered prayers. Have you ever wrestled with why your prayers have gone unanswered? I think if you have, you are amongst many of us in the room who have as well. First Samuel chapter one, verses nine through 20, the overarching question today is, what is going on with God in situations where it feels like he's, he isn't answering prayers? More specifically, what's going on with God in a situation where it feels like he isn't answering my prayers? And the first thing we're gonna see is, uh, or the first question we're gonna ask is, is the problem with the prayer? Did I do something wrong in the prayer? Did I get the formula wrong? You know, is the issue with my prayers? Well, let's look at that together as we see somebody who deals with a very same, similar kind of thing. Uh, starting in verse 9, if you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen for you. It says this, After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose, and Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. So they're, they're at God's house. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Now, you remember, if you were here last week, she is struggling with infertility. In fact, her husband has taken on another wife so his namesake would move forward. You can imagine what that did to her when she wasn't able to provide that for her husband. Well, here she is in the house of God. She's deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, your Version of the Bible might say, God Almighty. If you will indeed look on the afflictions of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and not a razor will touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth Hannah had been speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli, the priest, took her to be drunken, a a, a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go being a drunk? Put your wine away from you. And Hannah answered, no, my Lord. I'm a woman who's troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor a strong drink. I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Don't disregard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. What is going on with God in a situation where it feels like he isn't answering prayers? Is the issue with my prayers? Here, Hannah out of her deep distress can imagine wanting to give this to your husband, him having to take another wife, and then that woman giving her husband children and then kind of throwing it in her face is what we saw last week. In that great distress, they go to the temple once a year. She doesn't eat. She can't worship. She's, she's just, she's there. She's a shell of herself. She's there. But she's still prayerful about it, praying fervently. Give me a child, and I'll give him back to you. Kind of an if-then proposition. And it doesn't seem to be like like an offering of a pleasantry to her God. She actually is serious about this. She seems to be um, actualizing a a, a Nazarite vow before God. Now, if you uh, remember the story of Samson, Samson uh, was a Nazarite. We see this in Numbers chapter six, verses one through eight. And the idea is that he never cut his hair, um, never take a sip of wine, in fact, a grape of any form, anything that comes off the vine, never participate in, and never touch a dead body. I'm gonna set aside my son apart for you in a Nazarite vow, where he will never cut his hair, never drink anything that comes from the vine, and never touch a dead body. The interesting thing about this is these types of vows were actually kind of customary and normalized in the Old Testament, but they're usually temporary. You could see somebody doing this for a week, a month, several months, maybe even a year. But to vow for the entire life of the child, only one other person was like that. That would be Samson. You can see her complete devotion and commitment. If you will just do this for me, I will give him back to you. And it's a little different than what we do. We're like, God, if you can get me out of this one, I promise I'll go to church for the next three months. You liar. <laughs> you know, or God, if you do this, I'll give or I'll do this. or you know, you know, we do this all the time flippantly, but this is more than that for her. I'm going to offer you, my son, the Nazareth vow for his whole life. And, and the, the, the verbal idea here, she's already done it. I've already given him to you. If you'll meet me here, this is what I will do in return. So in ancient times, it was actually rather um, customary for an individual to make a voluntary conditional agreement with their God, usually um, involving God in a petition of whether it's provision or protection. And again, we do this kind of thing all the time ourselves. God, if you do this for me, I'll do this. But we just don't mean it as much as maybe a vow meant to them. And so she says, this is what I will do. And she comes with a heart, like a never-ceasing heart of prayer, fervent prayer before her God. And the prayer is absolutely beautiful. If you look at it, starting in verse 11, and she vowed, avowed, and said, O Lord of hosts, or God Almighty, Lord Almighty, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. She starts off by understanding uh, the position of God. And this is a beautiful prayer for a number of reasons. And if you want to know how your prayers will be sent up to God in a beautiful manner, you could follow this pattern that she's using God is separated, He's higher, I'm lower. And in her verbiage in the prayer, she's symbolizing that you are God Almighty. I'm just a servant. God Almighty or the Lord of hosts, that, that would be the idea that God is sovereign over the armies of heaven. He is captain. He's in charge. He, he has at his disposal every angel all over the world. He is the Lord of hosts. He is, the, he is God Lord Almighty. And what you might not know is this title or phraseology was not used of God prior to Hannah using it in this text. Can't find it in the Old Testament prior to this, 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 this position in time. It's a Hannah original. She, You're the Lord of Hosts. You're the Lord most high. You're the almighty God. And then look how she refers to herself. No less than three times she calls herself a servant. If you will indeed look on the afflictions of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and not a razor will touch his head. You are high and lifted up, I'm under. And, and in our prayer lives, when we allow God to be God and he's sovereign and he's in charge, and we place ourselves underneath, that is a, an approved prayer before God. It's appropriate. When we flip them other, the other way around, that's where we have problems. Now God is serving my needs and my wants. She says, now I know who you are. I'm placing myself underneath in an appropriate fashion towards the Almighty God. The word used for servant here is the term that would be used to describe a household slave. You're high and lifted up. I'm underneath. I understand the rules here. And I'm coming to you, fervently asking you, would you do this? Now, the interesting thing, what does she get for all this? <laughs> she comes to God. By the way, she's at church. She's in distress, deep depression. She can't eat, but she's there. She showed up. I'm here, but I'm distressed. And I'm still giving you a shot. I'm wrestling it out with you. I'm in deep distress, prayerfully talking to my God. You wonder if God is concerned about your distress. You you can bring it here. So I'm going to show up. I'm still here, but I'm in deep distress. What does she get for this posture, by the way, which is a beautiful posture. She's modeling for us exactly what we should do. When you have distress and depression, bring it to the Lord. Let God wrestle it out with God. That's what she does. And what does she get for doing that? Somebody calls her drunk. You must be drunk. This is where I get the idea, maybe something's wrong with my prayer. (laughs) It's like I'm coming in prayer, I'm deeply distressed, and somebody calls me drunk because of the way I'm doing it. Maybe something's wrong with the way I'm praying, that's why the answer isn't coming. She says, I'm not drunk, I'm troubled in spirit. Let's go back and look at it. Therefore, Eli, this is in verse uh, 13, took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long uh, will you go around being drunk? Put away the wine for me. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord. I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. But I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Don't disregard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. I'm not drunk, I'm troubled in spirit, and the idea behind that phrase is, I have a bitterness of soul with me. Have you ever been bitter in your soul? A bitterness that can only be directed towards one being, God, have you ever been that low? and yet she still brings it to the house of God. She doesn't run away and isolate, she still comes to the house of God and prayerfully sits before him with it. So I'm pouring out my soul before God. I'm speaking out of my anxiety and vexation. And there's a a helpful word picture that's going on here and it comes from the agricultural world where they would take oxen, usually like size oxen, and they would would, um, clamp them together through a yoke so there'd be a hole here and a hole there and you put a piece of wood on top and bottom. You put the two oxen heads inside. And the idea was if we can take, take two size oxen and, and, and clamp them together, we can get more horsepower out of them together as we till the ground. But when you take an oxen and try to put too big of a yoke on them, they bucket. Like, know that's too big. I can't handle that. And they reject the yoke. And that's the idea of the bitterness of soul, the the trouble in spirit. This is too heavy for me. So I reject it. That's her spirit as she goes to God. I'm struggling before the Lord. I'm in a great amount of distress. And what does she get? Well, he must be drunk. Makes me think of somebody who's so deep in depression that the majority of us cannot ever fully understand what they're going through. And then we give them a verse. Hey, be anxious for nothing. I wish I could. It's the whole thing. I'm in a deep amount of distress. And yet she's still there. And she's still struggling before her God. And there's something so beautiful about that. You know, we used to use this phraseology around here a long time ago. And we should bring it back. For you to embody the principles of what Hannah is doing here, you're going to have to subtract the church face from your, from your, appearance. Take away the church face. You know what I'm talking about? Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. How's your kids doing? My kids are doing great. Your kids are doing great? Oh, you got straight A's? Oh, we're in honors. <laughs> church face. You got the Tesla? Did you get the X, the Y, the Z? Do they have a Q now? Oh yeah, we got it too. You know, that's the church face. When you subtract that thing, you go, no, I'm gonna actually deal with what's going on. I'm gonna bring it. I'm here, and I'm dealing with it, with you. By the way, God's not surprised by that. She's not rebuked for coming deeply distressed, coming with a bitterness of soul. Wow, that verbiage is so strong. He wasn't upset with David in the Psalms when he would wrestle out with God. God invites the wrestle. He's okay with you being human and going through your feelings and taking you through that whole thing with him. Not apart from him, not secluded, not isolated, but with him. He says, I'm not drunk. So clearly, I'm not pouring drinks. I'm pouring out my soul to God. What a great example of what to do when you're in great despair. You bring it to God in prayer. So the issue isn't your prayer. The issue isn't the formula of your prayer. Nothing's wrong with your prayer. Well, if nothing's wrong with my prayer, then there's something wrong with God because it's not getting answered. What is going on with God in situations where it feels like he isn't answering prayers? Is the issue with my God? If it's not my prayer, then what's wrong with him? Is he not strong enough like he used to be? Let's look at that in verses 17 through 20. It says this. Then Eli answered, this is the priest again, go in peace. Apparently her reaction convinced him. And the God of Israel, grant your petition that you have made before him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went on her way and ate. She stopped her fast. And her face was no longer sad. She was at this point taking solace in what he'd said. And they rose early in the morning, and they worshiped before the Lord, and they went back home to Ramath. And then uh, El- Elkanah, which is her husband, knew his wife. Whenever you see that in the Old Testament, that would be to know intimately. That would be to marital relations is the idea. And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked him from the Lord. I have asked for him from the Lord. What's going on with God in situations where it feels like he isn't answering prayers? Is there something wrong with my God? Why would I say that? She gets her prayer answered. Well, that's the whole reason. She got her prayer answered, but I never get my answered. So what's wrong with him? Did he do things they he used to do 10,000 years ago? He doesn't do it anymore today? I've been praying. I pray that same exact prayer, word for word, what, what Hannah said. And he hasn't come through for me like he came through for her. Is she better than me? Did she get the formula right? What's the deal? Is there something wrong with him where he's not powerful enough anymore? Well, she comes. Eli is impressed with her and her heart. He blesses her and she goes home and she gives birth to Bailey, a baby. After Eli blesses her, she breaks her fast, finding solace in his blessing, some kind of assurance in it for her. And then she names the baby Samuel. The name Samuel is actually rather significant. It means asked of God or heard of God. And the idea is that she asked of God and God heard her. And so she named her child after the occurrence. She does give her child up in Nazaretic vow towards God, and Samuel's a prophet that will go on and, and anoint Saul the king of Israel, and then David the king of Israel. And so all that happens, all because what a beautiful way to, and a beautiful story about a woman's fervent prayer life. And then the question comes on the scene that we're going to wrestle with, rest that's the message. Beautiful ending to a beautiful story about a woman's fervent prayer life, and the question is... But are we all promised the same results? You're my pastor. If I come to you and I say, hey, I want, I, I want to have a baby and I pray the same exact prayer that Hannah prayed, God obviously will answer the prayer just like he answered for Hannah, right? Are we going to get the same results? of this passage, is this passage a promise for me? Now, this is a great question to ask and, and right now, before you get tempted to, to, to you know, zone out, this is where you want to zone in, this is really important stuff, we need to go over what we call a hermeneutical principle. Hermeneutics, big scary word don't worry about it you don't have to know how to spell it even hermeneutics just means there's a way that I derive truth from this bible there's a way that I take information from the bible and apply it to my life so i go the word of god says this and i'm playing it in it goes into my life this way all of us have grown up when we were children, and we learned to communicate with one another. I send words to you, I send messages to you, you receive them, and then respond in kind it 's called communication. We learn this verbally as we grow up. I send you a message, you receive it, you send me a message. The same thing happens in literary form where you 're receiving and sending message in a literary form like i 'm reading the word i 'm reading this story i 'm getting information out of it there 's a system by which that we take in information and we understand how we would apply it. To for our lives. That's hermeneutics. And there's a hermeneutical principle in here that we need to be careful of. I want to I give you a simple illustration. When Jesus says, I am a door, was he really saying that he was a literal door? Or was he using a literary device that would say, I am the pathway to God, You see what I'm saying there? So we have to find out what is being said and then what is being communicated. What is being said is one thing, but it means this over here, and literary devices help us with that. When Jesus Christ says, I am the great shepherd, is he saying that he really is a shepherd with sheep? Well, in a sense, he was. We are his sheep. He is a great shepherd, but he's not a farmer. Does that make sense? And so sometimes we use literary devices to be able to highlight euphemisms and things like that that we have highlight what we're trying to say. And so here we have the question of what is he doing here? Is this, if you're taking notes, is this a text that is descriptive of a certain period of time, a situation with Hannah of what God did in that time, or is this prescriptive of what he will do? Is it descriptive of what he can do or is it prescriptive of what he will do? You might write that down as a hermeneutical principle. Is it descriptive or is it prescriptive? If it's descriptive, then it's just a situation where God interacts with Hannah and this happens and I shouldn't expect it to happen to me necessarily the same way. God could do it, but it's not necessarily an expectation of mine. If it is prescriptive, then he must do it every time. And so when you come and you pray this prayer, here's the formula. God does this. Is it descriptive or is it prescriptive? So back to my question. If you come into my office and I really want to have a baby, and if I pray the Hannah prayer, am I going to have, can you tell me, Pastor, that I'm going to have the baby, like Eli told Hannah? Well, that's a great question. And I think to answer that question, you've got to take a step back. There's a specific situation of Hannah, and then there's like the broader situation of redemptive history. You see, because what's going to happen is, this is all about a baby being born named Samuel. Samuel's gonna be a prophet. That prophet's gonna to, going to anoint Saul, as we're gonna see in this first Samuel study that we're gonna be in for a while. And then after, after, after Saul is gonna be David, and he's gonna anoint David as king, and King David is gonna be the father, daddy, 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 of the Messiah, who will take away the sin of the world. So in one sense, you have this one little particular situation with Hannah and God, and in another sense, you have redemptive history in the picture. Where God is going to save the world through the byproduct of David's lineage. And so for that reason, I would say to you, I know, I can't can't tell you that if you pray the same prayer that Hannah prayed, that you'll get the same results. It could happen, but I'm not going to say it will happen. There seems to be more purpose in this occurrence than just Hannah's situation is what I'm trying to say. Redemption for the world, write it on this. Boy, who would anoint the king eventually. So, does that mean you shouldn't pray? No, please pray, pray, pray and pray fervently for anything that you think would give God glory. Pray for it, absolutely, to the glory of God, pray for it. But when you pray, take the model of Jesus Christ in John 17 in the garden, who in his humanity said, God, I know I'm here, I'm, this is what I'm here to do. I'm here to die for the world, and I'm ready to do it. But in my humanity, would you take this cup away from me? And after he asked that, he said, but not my will, but your will be done. So whenever you come in prayer to God, you say, you know what? You're God. I'm the servant. Not my will, but your will be done. I'm not going to flip this thing to where you're not, now you're just a genie in a bottle who, who I rub to give me what I want. No, you're God. I'm under. Not my will, but your will be done. But if you did this, I could see how you get a lot of glory out of it. And so I'm praying to that end. Well, if that's the case, then what is the, the, the takeaway from the passage? And, and that brings us to the big idea, which is on the screen for you. And that is this, that God has limitless power at his disposal to fulfill whose purposes? His purposes. God has limitless power at his disposal to fulfill his purposes. Now, we don't know his purposes. We don't know what he's doing sometimes. We don't know why, why this and why that. i got to trust you in this. I'm going to pray for what I see would give you glory. But I'm going to trust you who, know, who knows every possibility upon every possibility. You are the God with limitless power at your disposal to fulfill your purposes of which I don't know because I can't see them. We cannot see, we simply cannot see his purposes sometimes. So the question becomes, what do we do with our plight? Well, okay, so what do I do in this situation that's got me so distressed and such in despair and depression? Where do I go? Well, you still go to God. We just don't know what he's doing. And so we count on him and trust him in the midst of it. I was meeting with somebody in my office this week, and we were just talking, and <laughs> I have this like weird little line I say. I probably shouldn't say it, but I feel like it's pretty, pretty uh, indicative of my life. And the line goes like this You ever feel like you won the wrong lottery? Like the wrong lottery. The right lottery is the one where you win millions of dollars, right? I'm talking about the wrong lottery. Have you ever felt like you won, won the wrong lottery? W- what do you mean? Oh, I'll tell you what I mean. My dad got a brain tumor when he was 23 years old. What's that, one in a million? That's the wrong lottery. Dad goes crazy, his parent gets a divorce at a young age. Wrong lottery. My single parent mother is physically assaulted in a dark alley in San Francisco, left with two broken arms, splints on her fingers, three massive grapefruit-sized sutured wounds on her head. That's the wrong lottery. We go bankrupt, wrong lottery. Mother passes away at a young age 10 years later, 55 years old from stomach cancer. That's the wrong lottery. First child comes into this world, 10 weeks premature, spends the first month of her life hooked up to machines that kept her alive. Love my daughter to death, but that is the wrong lottery. Have you ever felt like you've won the wrong lottery? I think I know what that feels like. So where do we go with our plight? Can I share with you what I did yesterday? Can I share with you where I was yesterday? Yesterday I got on a plane about 6.15 in the morning and I flew to Northern California where I watched the 49ers demolish the Seahawks on their way to their next Super Bowl victory. That's what I'm believing in Jesus' name. (laughs) And uh, on my way there, I picked up a young man, 12 years my younger. He's a pastor, in fact he's, a lead pastor of a church. I told you about him last week if you were here. He's um, going through it right now. His wife is severely depressed, not able to have children. She had a pretty really close family member that was kind of like the stalwart of the family pass away suddenly and in a difficult fashion. And she's told him that she needs to leave him, she's moving out. We just got to know each other last week. I heard about the situation a couple weeks ago. We got on the phone, talked, and obviously there's some similarities and some things that I've been through, and we've been through together as a church. And, and I just texted him. I go, you know what? I hear you're a rabid 49er fan, like me. He goes, yeah. I go, how about this? I'll get on the plane. I got tickets. If you can meet me at the stadium, we'll go to the game together. And if you just need a distraction, we'll just get you a distraction for the day. He goes, man, that would be amazing. Go to the game together, buy him a jersey, he didn't have a San Francisco jersey. Yell, my my voice is a little raspy because, well, because we won. (laughs) Not everybody has that same story. (laughs) Somebody came up to me and said, man, we had a four touchdown lead, and I said, I can't relate. So, sorry. All right, anyway, back to the story. Um, I wish you could have seen his eyes when we are having breakfast together I wish you could have seen his eyes when I told him my story and how something that seems so low and so bad and so horrible how God can move and change and, and do something miraculous and he was just trying to provide hope it, it's not over yet God can do something I, I've seen it and I told him I said I told my church about you last week and we're praying for you man and he started weeping, are you kidding me? And he's telling his church today, what we went through four years ago, he's telling his church today, what's going on. And I'm telling you, the girl is not hard-hearted. From what I hear, she's not hard-hearted, she's just low, she's low. She's why, he goes, why did you tell your church? I told my church because I needed them to pray. I needed a miracle from God. And I didn't want to be praying by myself. I begged my elders to let let me tell the church and let me tell the church. And God moved. And he didn't just answer my prayer. Don't miss this. He didn't just answer my prayer for me. I believe this God who knows every situation and knows all the sequence of results. Saw the domino falling over here four years ago. Click, 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 click. And then I would be in this situation with you, my man, to walk you through this. Because I can relate to you in a way that no one else can, he told me. Because people try to come to me and talk to me, but you, David, you know exactly what I'm feeling like. You know exactly what I know. I know, and one day you're going to be there for someone else, and that's the mastery of it. We don't see it. We don't understand what he's doing, but he has purposes, and the purposes are there when you glorify him later with that story. That's the point. Not that he promises to give you what you want. He has limitless powers at his disposal to fulfill his purposes. And the glory of God in this story was that I was able to encourage a young man, 33 years old, pastoring a church. It feels like his world is falling right through his fingers. I can't tell you the cancer will go away, but I can tell you that God will get glory for you going through it. I can't tell you that that he or she will come back but I can tell you that God will get glory by you going through it I can't tell you as much as I wish I could that you'll be able to have that child if you pray this prayer something that you so rightly and righteously desire but I can tell you that God will get glory by you going through this truth be known the Hurtado family our dream was to have four biological children and that did not happen Audrey came 10 weeks premature, Donovan came five weeks premature, and we got to know real quick that we're not going to be able to do this the way other people just do this. And all of a sudden, God changed our hearts, and we decided instead of going for four biological children, let's go for two and two. Two biological and two kids who need a home and need a family. And we adopted two beautiful, wonderful children and I can't imagine life without them. I look at my little girl, and she's blossoming right before my eyes. I look at my young man, he's a little linebacker. He thinks he's a tight end, but he's a linebacker. And some beautiful things came out of that hurt and sorrow of seeing that dream fall away. I don't know what God is doing, but I promise you he has purposes that you don't see. If you leave with nothing else, When you don't know what God is doing, understand there are purposes that you don't see and trust him because he's the almighty God and you're his servant. And when you really grasp that idea that he's the almighty Lord or host and you're his servant, you know what happens? You jump in like what we're gonna see today. Oh, it's all for you. I'm all in for you. I, I finally get it. It's, this world's not about me. It's not about me. I thought it was about me this whole time. I've been living for me. No, it's for him. And I'm jumping in to symbolize that I'm all in. Not just my fingers and not just my toes. Dip me entirely. It's all for him. I promise you this morning that he's not punishing you. I promise you this morning that he's not punishing you. I promise you this morning that he is not a God who punishes you but he will allow you to experience pain so that you can glorify him more. Take that to the bank. Let's pray together. Father, I know there's people in the room because I know their stories. I know they're hurting. I know their pain. And I don't have a lot of time to pray, but I'm gonna ask one simple prayer, one simple pastoral prayer, if you would hear my prayer. Would you meet them right here, right now, like you met me? And for this young man in this church, would you meet all of them right now like you met me? Would you be there for them in their distress like you are for Hannah, like you are for me? That's the point. You are there in the midst of our distress, not that you promised to give us our best life now. You are there. And let us get more excited and attracted to a God who wraps his arms around us in the midst of the distress than praying to a God like he's a genie in a bottle so he can change our lives for our better. Be there for them, I ask
2: you. Be there for them like you were for me. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor David, for that awesome message. Um, We're going to receive our offering now. This is one of the ways we worship God. We put him first in our life. Um, It's how all the ministries here are supported. And we just really believe that uh, as we give, God's going to multiply that and use it to change people's lives, both here in Camarillo and throughout the world. If you're ready to participate in that, you can do it online at campcc.net. Just click give at the top of the page, follow the instructions, or you can text an, a dollar amount to 84321. And if you prefer, there's an offering box in the lobby. Um, today, we're doing some baptisms. So if you're one of the people who um, are getting baptized today, you, as soon as I'm done praying in a second, you can go over to the right-hand side where Bobby is with her hand raised, uh, and you go up through that little curtain over there and there's they're ready for you. Um, if you're here today and God's doing something in your life and you didn't know you were getting baptized today, but you just feel like, I this is it. I need to make a statement that I'm with Christ, um, that we're ready for you. If that's you, you can also, when I'm done praying, go over there and they can help you out. They have um, some clothes you can change into so you don't have to walk out of here wet. Um, they have towels, everything, so that um, we're prepared. So what baptism is, is baptism's a symbol. It's like a wedding ring is to a marriage. The wedding ring doesn't make you married, it's just a symbol that you are married. When you get baptized, you're identifying yourself publicly as a Christian. And you're saying, I'm gonna, I follow Christ, I'm not ashamed of it, and I'm ready to proclaim that to everyone who witnesses this. Um, we do it because Christ set an example by doing it himself and then commanded that we do it later. Um, It doesn't save you. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ and faith alone. Um, But it's just a public declaration. So with that, let me pray. Lord, thank you for uh, the people being baptized today. I just thank you for the boldness that they're willing to come before us in a public way and say, I follow Christ. I trust in Christ for my salvation and I want everyone to know it. Lord, would you bless them and would you um, fill them with your spirit and lead them through this life as they uh, seek to follow you? We say this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: There's a name that levels mountains. Yes, it does. Cause out highways
3: through the seas. I've seen Since Goliath to his knees, I've seen.
0: from my
4: How you doing? Robin Frazier here, and I serve happily on our hospitality team. Let me just tell you, I am so glad you're here. If this is your first, second, or third time guest, we have some gifts for you. Mark your connection card, or if you're watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps. We have some great stuff coming up here at CAMCC. The week of January 22nd, growth groups. If you have not tried out growth group, you gotta try it. It's a great way to connect and build relationships while studying God's word. It's only eight weeks and childcare is available. Sign up at camcc.net slash growth groups, chat with Pastor Jim on the patio or shoot him an email, jimmoyer at camcc.net. We also have two classes kicking off that same week. Tuesdays, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Learn great financial principles that are applicable to your current financial situation. You can be on the road of getting out of debt. It's nine weeks and taught by two CPAs, the Lawbachers. The second is on Wednesday nights, Pathway, a six-week journey in discovering how to grow in your faith and getting connected to CAMCC. This is a great way to meet all the pastors and directors and have fun meeting new people. To sign up for either of these classes, go to camcc.net slash growth groups or email Jim Moyer at camcc.net. If you are interested in automating your pledge to the Welcome Project, I can tell you how. Go to camcc.net and click Give. Click Donate or set up Recurring Giving. Choose the amount, choose the Welcome Project in the drop-down, then choose the frequency. Then you should be good to fill out the rest of the form. If you need help with any of this, contact Kenny at camcc.net and he would be more than happy to set you up. To stay in the loop of what's going on at CAMCC follow us on Instagram like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more info on any of these events you can go to camcc.net
5: Alright, well if you are in the room and you have got baptized would you please stand up? We just want to pray for you this morning and we want to recognize that. Let's just give them a round of applause. If you guys would just congregation if you just extend your hands over over the people who have been baptized we're gonna pray lord we just thank you so much for for saving these souls lord um for them making the decision to follow you for the rest of your life god and we just know that following you is not always an easy path lord and they will be under attack so we want to support them as a church and be praying for them and helping them along the way and god we just thank you so much for your blessing for your salvation Had over four other people, um, or four people in the first service, get baptized as well. So, would you stand up? And I just want to send you off this morning. Um, What I got out of the message today was just how how the importance of prayer. And I I can tell you, when we first got married and we were newlyweds, um, we were joined a growth group. And one of the, the most awesome things about being in that group was we prayed for each other all the time and we prayed and brought those petitions before the Lord. Um, We were praying for jobs, praying for homes because we didn't think we could afford to live here and we couldn't. (laughs) Um, And then praying for babies. We were praying for people to be able to get pregnant and have children. And um, it was cool to see those prayers get answered. Um, They didn't always get answered. Sometimes we were praying for people with cancer and, um, you know, sometimes God said no. But the, the neat thing was to be able to do that bring those petitions before the lord and lay them at his feet together with with other people and do life together so if i can recommend you do one thing this morning it's go out there and sign up for a growth group they start on january 22nd um also if you're a guest with us and it's your first time or second or third time we have gifts for you out there so please make sure to stop by the welcome counter and grab one of those and i think that's it so we'll see you next sunday please join us out on the patio for some coffee and a donut